There'd be budget meetings where people would be vying uh, for position, for power, for influence, for yeah. announcements from the pulpit, from pastor. Right. Um, there were different groups that were wanting their way in the organization and in the building. And it just seemed like we were majoring on all the minor things. Yeah. And I thought that that was just happening in the church where I was working at. But when I got out and was visiting different churches, I saw this happening in every church. There was this big distraction on, on running the show. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another version of the Communitas podcast. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, and uh, today I am joined by a dear friend um, who has just so much to share with us about creating communion, community, and mission, especially to uh, the marginalized. And it is a thrill for me to welcome Gar Mickelson to our podcast. Gar, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to, to be here. Good to see you, and it's good to see Joy, and I'm excited about hanging out with you guys for a bit and just talking about things that we all love. Right on. Yes, Joy yes. Preston is with us as well, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing some time with you, Gar. So give us a little bit of your of your background. Um, you, you used to live in Coeur d'Alene. You have been through a number of Communitas events and some trainings yeah. and uh it's it's been fun to be on that journey with you over the last gosh probably 10 years I'm guessing yeah so I've been um in pastoral ministry since 1993 a few years um spent a lot of time in church circles and in church leadership over the years took a job with our denomination Northwest yearly meetings of French Church mm -hmm. For three and a half years, I served as an associate superintendent of local outreach and pastoral care. So I traveled around to different friends' churches um, and talked about local outreach initiatives, helping churches to figure out their local demographics, their local community, and then assessed uh, gifts and resources within the church, tried to teach them how to put those things together. Um, to develop local outreach initiatives. So during that time, um, I got outside of the church that I was working in and was working with other churches in the Northwest. And over that period of time, I was excited to bring my experience and what I knew, but I also experienced some a little bit of disillusionment, realizing that although these churches really had a heart to do outreach, get the church reaching out. Um, they lacked the, the catalyst leadership mm -hmm. to really follow through and actually sustain uh, and create the culture of missional church within their congregations. So during that time, I just felt the Lord talking to me, um, saying, quit talking about it and go do it. And so Vicki mm -hmm. and I started a nonprofit, uh, Kaleidoscope Community Services, this year, Kaleidoscope is 10 years old. Can you believe it, Joy? Wow. wow. <laughs> that <Woo>. long. <laughs> and so during that time, I've had the opportunity to um, have the type of ministry that sort of boots on the ground um, between church, 
um, and street and sort of living on the bridge in between. And it's been a wonderful experience. It hasn't been easy. You know, there's been a lot of difficult things along the way, but I feel like I've grown in my faith in, in um, having missional experiences, you know, of many different kinds. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at today. Um, someday I'll grow up and figure out really what I want to do, but that's where <laughs> we are now. Well, Gar, you know, when when, uh, when I first got engaged pretty deeply with Communitas, um, in meeting you early on in that, it, you know, it occurred to me that if there were someone that was truly living the life of missionality, you were the example of that. You know, what, what, what does this, what does it look like to live a certain way? Not just say you believe a certain way. So thank you for the, the work that you've done and the way it's inspired so many. I, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier about um, some of the challenges maybe or disillusionment. Um, when, when you started Kaleidoscope and then Second Street Commons and some other things that you've done, where did you find the the church in the midst of that? What were some of the disillusions? I, I mean, you, you did mention not having catalytic leadership, um, but but what other things did you encounter there that were surprising to you? Over the years in being in church leadership, I sort of had the opportunity to peek behind, be a part of being behind the scenes in leadership. Um, and certain organizations, um, they got centered on <laughs> the weekly meeting um, and how many people were coming, uh, church budgets, and it seemed like there was a big focus on the production of the weekly meeting. Right. Um, and then church organizations, um, they have a lot of moving parts within those organizations. There's different committees. There's different ministries. There'd be budget meetings where people would be vying uh, for position, for power, for influence, for yeah. announcements from the pulpit, from pastor. Right. Um, there were different groups that were wanting their way in the organization and in the building. And it just seemed like we were majoring on all the minor things. Yeah. And I thought that that was just happening in the church where I was working at. But when I got out and was visiting different churches, I saw this happening in every church. There was this big distraction on, on running the show mm. and maintaining buildings and facilities. And pastors were often caught up and caught in between a rock and a hard spot with all these different groups that had these demands. And um, for me, it became a Petri dish. I was looking at how churches are organized and the way churches are organized, they set themselves up for these types of conflicts. And it's not that conflict is bad. I think conflict, as the Chinese would say, is dangerous opportunity. Uh, that's everywhere, right? But it's the way that people that um, responded and treated each other in the midst of those conflicts that wasn't particularly healthy. And it, it, it's exhausting. It became exhausting for me. And I was just like, I just want to, you know, 
move out of the Christian ghetto, the cul-de-sac, yeah. and get out uh, into you know reaching out out on the street. And in doing that, I began to see, you know, that I was living more into my particular calling. Right. Yeah, it, 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 that is a, uh, a real challenge, I think, for especially the established church to have eyes that truly look outward. And, and sometimes even when the eyes are looking outward, the objective is to get people in here, you know, as opposed uh -huh. to going and meeting people where yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been involved in some endeavors that have definitely met people where they are. Tell us some about that, and uh, especially like Second Street Commons. Yeah, well, um, I've never been a senior pastor, a pulpit minister. I've always been a local outreach guy. Um, even when I was in my youth pastor years, um, I always had our youth groups doing local outreach yeah. in different ways and in different kinds. Um, that was my passion to get, you know, to teach the young kids to um, have a mindset of reaching out. And so I had the opportunity to do a lot of outreach ministry with youth, young adults. Um, when I grew up and moved out of youth pastoring <laughs> at 40, after my kids were gone, I did uh, moved into a community outreach pastoral role where um, I my specific job description was getting the church connected to local outreach concerns, partnering with other churches, those types of things. Um, after I started Kaleidoscope, we started the Second Street Commons. Um, yes. And that was the, the whole goal of the Second Street Commons was that that venue and that ministry would be collaborative among people from a variety of different churches that we would become a hub of missional activity, that on one hand, we would provide um, on the ground services and resources for street homeless and people in poverty. But we would also be a discipleship training school where people from different churches that were felt called to that type of um, ministry would have a context. They would have a downtown living room so they could come in and have the opportunity or the context to rub shoulders with those that they would never meet in a, in a church setting. Right. Um, so it became um, way more than we ever dreamed it would. <laughs> and it was just a wonderful opportunity for volunteers to come down and learn about street homeless, hear stories, meet real people. Mm -hmm and have some of their stereotypes smashed as a result of that. Right. Um, but it also was a place for the broken and the poor to also come and not only get services and resources, but to have a place. And that became really important, very unexpected, that um, the Second Street Commons actually became their home, hmm. their family. And we would have family meetings once a week where people could share their blessings and concerns and and give their uh, input on how the place was run and those types of things. And I would actually invite them to say, well, if you meet somebody out on the street, don't bring them to me at the commons to help them. You bring them to the commons, use the resources, and you help them. Hmm. And that gave them some dignity and some ownership in the commons. And it was 
uh, all by accident. I didn't plan it. It just sort of <laughs> happened that way, but it turned out to be a really good thing. Yeah, beautiful. I, I, I People will define community in different ways. Um, I've, I've noticed in my years in working in vocational ministry, especially in larger established churches, that developing community is, is harder than we think. You know, we think we can just put people in small groups and they'll be authentic community. And it certainly helps. I mean, that's a big, big step. Um, but you experience community on a whole different level. What, how would you describe community as you experienced it at Second Street compared to maybe how you would see that in, in a local church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so at the Second Street Commons, um, we would have real-life experiences that would bond people together that went through those experiences together. Hmm. Um, the difference between community and communitas. Hmm. That's why communitas, you guys named it. <laughs> yeah. And renamed it your ministry with that term because communitas represents a stronger bond that comes about by a common experience that is significant right so you know when you're dealing with let's say 35 street homeless people in a living room situation and you're talking and you're interacting and somebody comes in that is inebriated or drunk or in a mental health crisis or let's say in a, a mental health and drug-induced uh, situation becomes loud, gets everybody upset. There's something that happens. And then somebody comes up, myself or another volunteer or another family member, and you just start praying over that person, um, trying to talk them down, trying to calm them down. It's okay. You know, there's high emotion mm. and activity and flurry. And after an experience like that, when the dust clouds settle and the waters calm down, everybody goes, wow, that was really something else. And that experience in itself that you all went through together and then debrief and talk about brings you a tighter bond. Mm. And those situations happening repeatedly where everybody shares this story right? I remember when that happened, remember when that happened, some of the um, situations that, that were bonding experiences were really good and spirit-driven, um, might have been a Bible study, or it might have been a, a worship video that we all shared, or something super good, or somebody got a job, or somebody was reconciled with family, or somebody had 30 days clean, um, there were those types of experiences, and then there are also um, uh, the scarier situations. But when you bring all those together throughout the days and weeks and months, you create um, a tight family bond with those people that you wouldn't ordinarily get in a small group Bible study. Right. Um, not that small group Bible studies are less or bad 
they're different. Right. Right. So. Yeah, that depth of community that can take place in in various settings, uh, but where authenticity and rawness and vulnerability, all of those things um, lead us to deeper spaces, right? Um, yeah. And and you got to experience that really firsthand. Um, you've seen so many incredible stories of transformation. Uh, are, are there one or two that stick out to you that you can share with us? Yeah. Um, on the volunteer side, um, we had over 400 volunteers from over 30 different churches over an eight-year span. Um, and generally the story with, with volunteers would go something like this. They'd come in and talk with me, been thinking about you guys, wanted to get involved. I've been putting it off, procrastinating, but here I am, I'm taking the steps. I have anxiety and fear mm. because I've never been in this situation before, um, so start me out in the back room making sandwiches, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this one uh, lady that came. She was in her 70s, um, a widow. Her husband had passed um, about a year before, had wanted to come and get involved and do something. And she came to me. She admitted she was very scared and to be down in that part of town, in that place and wanted to start out making sandwiches and so we got her started in the back room making sandwiches and but she was a social person and gradually started coming out of her shell and um, she came to me one day and said that in her career she was um, she cut hair she worked in a salon and she wanted to know if she might branch out and offer free haircuts for people at Second Street Commons. She said, I'm, you know, I've never cut homeless hair before. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what that's going to be like for me, but I'd like to try it. Huh. And so she started giving haircuts. And over time, you know, over three months, she became grandma. Mm to people down there she knew everybody by name and and uh, they loved it when she came and she talked with people and uh, so a number of months later we had a christmas party and at the commons for volunteers and uh, she was going to leave and it was dark outside and i said can i walk you to your car and she goes no this is my neighborhood i'll be fine Wow. Just traipsed out the door. So transformation, right? Yes. Started here with anxiety and fear and biases running in your mind, shaking literally. Yeah. <laughs> to months later, having immersed themselves in the experience to transform to be this warm hearted grandma to homeless people. And then overcoming her fear of neighborhood and over you know, her fear of darkness in that neighborhood and going to her car and having complete confidence. Wow. So um, that's one story on the street side. Um, we've had so many stories, Jeff, enjoy. I mean, just so many stories, but 
One that sticks out to me is about um, a gentleman that was street homeless and alcoholic, um, sleeping under bushes, sleeping in the post office, um, started coming to the commons in the morning. We would open up at 5.30 in the morning, and this gentleman would come in in the mornings. He was about a few years younger than me, so at the time, and completely and utterly despondent and depressed about what had happened in his life and who he had become and um, deeply, deeply inward and started with food and coffee and Bible study. And over time, he sort of began to emerge socially with some of the other people and volunteers. Then he started just volunteering he goes, can I mop the floor? Can I clean the bathroom? You know, graduated from there to sorting donations in the resource closet. Um, eventually, he got the code to the building. He became, you know, sort of a trustee. Um, and then we had a work training program that we had started, and he joined that work training program. And I remember him getting his first paycheck, we would pay weekly. Hmm. And he got his first paycheck and I handed out the paycheck and he opens his paycheck and he's just sitting there looking at this paycheck and tears started rolling down his face. Huh. And he said, I earned this. Hmm. I said, yeah, but you earned it. Yeah. And he said, I didn't think I would ever ever have another paycheck that I earned. Hmm. So that was about five years ago. And he spent three years with us in the work program. Uh, we got him a job with another company in town. And now he runs their grounds maintenance department. Wow. My goodness. So um, but a beautiful, beautiful person, but he needed people he needed a family that could love him where he was at for who he was and it was sort of loving him into the kingdom um but as he emerged the thing that he wanted to do was help help others with a hand up and um just six years sober out of alcohol and um so everybody wins when we have missional activity, missional community, it's going to look different in each situation with each set of people and situations are unique, but there's always going to be fruit from it that mm -hmm. comes in keeping with the Holy Spirit and growth and transformation as people engage in it together. That's right. Gar, one of the observations, and Joy, hop in anytime here. <laughs> um, right. One of the observations in in serving at Second Street and seeing what was going on down there, there there were a lot of what I would call next generation people that were engaged there, uh, younger people. And what what have been some of your observations on next generation? My observation is they're less inclined to go to the event on Sunday morning and more inclined to want to live out a life of faith. But what did you, what did you see in that? What are some of your observations on next generational leadership? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to limit it just to next generation because I think this is something that uh, transcends generations, but sure. young people especially, they want to see where the rubber hits the road. Mm. And they want to be part of forward movement in the kingdom. Mm. They want to get their hands dirty. They want to engage. And in church organizations, more traditional church organizations, there's not a lot of room for that engagement. You know what I mean? There's yeah. just there's just not a lot of room. You know, you can weed the flower beds, you can cut the grass, you can do the janitorial, you know, maybe do uh, puppet shows for the grade schoolers. You know, there's youth camps and different things. But it all has to do with the, the Christian cul-de-sac. I used to call it the Christian ghetto, but that became mean to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of my own biases on what ghetto is. Sure. Um, uh, but cul-de-sac seems too easy. <laughs> right. Um, but in Christian circles and communities, there's not a lot of opportunities to really get your hands dirty. And I think the young people want to feel like they're engaged in meaningful ways where the rubber hits the road and uh you know there's a lot of criticism for young people you know they're spiritually lazy they're biblically lazy um they don't know how to work don't want to work um they don't hike their pants up high enough uh just whatever the criticism is sure. their music's too loud you know so in those organizations, there's nothing but a lot of, you know, criticism, I think. I think we've heard this, you know, I think you guys have experienced that and others have too. But when you're out in missional activity, they can be themselves, uh, themselves. they can let their hair down a little bit, they can be at ease, um, and they can engage in um, relational, important relational aspects of ministry. Um, and hands-on work, um, and they can see tangible results, right? Um, so when you're working in missional activity, whether it's helping a, an isolated senior with housework or yard work, or whether you're building a handicap ramp access-wise, or whether you're helping a homeless person set up a tent or get them a sleeping bag, or feeding people a sandwich and coffee, there is a direct and immediate uh, tangible result that makes them feel like what the time they spent had real purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's key if we're going to continue to um, encourage the younger generations is we have to give them something to do based on their gifts and their passion. Right. Whatever it is that they do, that they love to do, that they're passionate and good at, that can be put into use in the kingdom, whether it's helping other nonprofits to be more organized. Like we had a group of young adults that did a logo for Kaleidoscope um, mm. and our website. Um, 
we got like eight grand worth of social media uh, and graphics help. If we sure. would have gone to a professional thing, it was all done for Kaleidoscope at our launch for free by this group of individuals. Wow. Um, bring in what they do uh, for Kingdom Work. And so I think there's, we need to pay attention to helping the younger generations to assess their gifts and teaching them that and encouraging them about where they can put that into motion. I'm curious, Gar, um, you had mentioned that through these various experiences and some of your own transformation, um, that your your faith has evolved, your faith has deepened. Explain that a little bit if you can. I know that's a hard question to answer, but what does that look like for you? You know, I think that I've had experiences that shook me to the core because yeah. I'm a fix-it guy, I'm a do-it guy, and there's some things you see out there that you can't fix. Mm. And um, I saw some real and have been involved in some real helpless situations where I felt helpless, mm. um, both at the Second Street Commons and in my consulting work with churches. You can see where they need to go, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, and it seemed in my younger years, you know, doing Bible studies, doing camps, um, doing different workshops. I felt like God had given me the ability to um, see problems and solve problems and encourage. And um, I learned that I was, I had thought that I just stayed with the script and prescription of Bible study, church, you know, all those meetings and you do everything, that everything was just going to be fine and dandy. But it moved me into a reliance on myself. Right. That I'm out there doing stuff for God. And um, there was an, uh, sort of a hidden arrogance that mm. developed within me that was hidden. And the Second Street Commons broke me. Yeah. It ran me out of gas. And I was out of gas, going through the motions, <laughs> uh, had lost the joy of it. I was living in a state of what I call uh, a state of pissed offness huh. yeah. at everything. I was mad at, you know, the community. I was mad at the church. I was mad at the people I was supposed to be loving and helping. I was most mad with myself because I couldn't you know, make things work or solve problems. And, uh, and the Lord in his goodness broke me mm. and um, said, no, you really do need me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I began to go inward and in finding that relationship with the Lord and the spirit within me to build me back up. Um, and so I don't think that saying the experience has deepened my faith is quite 
um, saying enough about how I was transformed by missional outreach and my and the necessity for me to connect with the Lord every day throughout the day, conversations throughout the day, being prayerful, being in the word. Um, it's become survival to me, whereas before it, looking back, I was a performer. Yeah. Have you ever been that place where you realized mm -hmm. that you were an actor on a stage? Yes. And trying to, you know, play the role. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't totally in you yet. It was developing. And I think engagement in the community and in the issues where you really do have to come to the point where you need the love of Christ in you, loving through you, because we don't have the bandwidth to do it in our flesh. Right. And so deeper and deeper, not so much concerned anymore about what people think about me. <laughs> when that ran me, that used to run me. Right. What are they going to think? That yeah. used to run me. It was like a bridle. Um, now, not so much. I am who I am. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm comfortable with that. I feel good about that. I feel good about saying I'm not perfect. I can't solve everything. Uh, I don't always hear right. Um, I do still have biases and, and stains and all those things of the flesh, but I feel closer to God um, than I than I ever have been. Wow. So. Well, it sounds like you are becoming what you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one of the big, big lessons for me in the last couple of years is somewhat along those lines, Gar, where, you know, the recipe that got me here is not going to be the recipe that gets me there. Right. Oh, that's uh, good. You know, and uh, I, you kind for me, you get to a place in any career really where you you kind of you kind of know the right recipe, um, and you can get comfortable in that. And if if that becomes the case, then for me, like outward looking, innovative thinking, uh, even missional design, you know, as we call it in communitas, they they all just kind of suffer if if you stay in that place, it becomes stasis instead of dynamic, right? So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really good, really helpful. What are some of the things that that you're doing now, Gar? Or uh, you know, how how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to dialogue with you about some of these ideas? Yeah, well, I'm always available through email and through um Best way to get a hold of me is through my cell phone or text. Yeah. Um, and you can make that available to people. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. So a year and a half, a year and a half ago, Vicki and I moved out to Cleelum, Washington. It's mm -hmm. a small town and uh on the eastern slopes of the Cascade Mountains. We're yeah. about an hour and 15 minutes out of Seattle, about uh 30 minutes west of Ellensburg. Um, so we moved out here to be closer to our kids and grandkids who were all over in Seattle. Um, and I was at a place where I just felt like we needed to prioritize, uh, both my wife and I, Vicki and I wanted to be 
closer to family. So in restarting out here, we spent a year um, embedding in the community, finding out who's doing what, helping the broken and the poor, finding out who the players were in our town and in the county, meeting people in the community. Um, we joined the Eagles Fraternal Organization, which is, yep. you know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to meet people, and we have, it's been wonderful. Um, my wife joined a group of ladies who uh, met each other over Facebook. Um, so this group of women are all new to the community within the last two years, and they found each other. There's a group of a dozen of them that have been meeting together for over a year, once a week, and doing different activities together, mm. um, including line dancing at the Eagles. Nice. <laughs> um, I've met local pastors here. I connected with one um, pastor in particular that he and I have been meeting with regularly. Uh, there's a pastor's association here. Um, but in embedding ourselves, we wanted to find out what Kaleidoscope's niche was going to be in this community. Right. Um, so over time, um, we realized that there was a need for handyman services for isolated seniors who can't get work done. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing a lot of ramps, grab bar installations, changing light bulbs, cleaning up yards and houses, replacing flooring, um, all kinds of things. I've got a part-time employee. I've got another guy that's going to be starting here. So we're jump starting the work services program here sure. um, within mind that um, we've got a contractor's license in Washington State. So the goal is to do 50% pain work um, so that we can do 50% non-pain work. Hmm. So I'm working on that and I've been meeting lots of people um, that are isolated. Uh, and for me, um, my goal isn't to start a business, although that income is one of the ways that we raise money to support the nonprofit. Right. To me, it's just a tool so that I can meet people to do the soul care piece, Yeah. Um, both with the people that I'm working for and the people that I'm working with. Um, but I'm, you know, in a place where I understand that everybody that I meet, whether they're, you know, a recipient or client or whether they're a paying customer or not, or whether it's social workers, hospital workers, been meeting paramedics, firemen, police officers, um, that the Lord wants me to pay attention <laughs> um, to the soul care piece of everyone that I come in contact with. And Vicki's the same way. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. So, and we don't know, you know, how that's going to end up, but we do have plans and have been working with a group of Christians in the area that are considering starting a missional outreach center. And I've sort of been leading that initiative um, in partnership with two churches and Kaleidoscope and our group of volunteers. We're, we're looking for property right now to start um, a second street commons mm. West. Nice. <laughs> but we'll also have a thrift store there. And um, there's a lot of people that um, 
that are looking to get rid of stuff and there's no local nonprofit thrift store in the area. So that would be another way to create community around missional activity. You're providing uh, an opportunity for jobs and for roles for volunteers um, and, a, and a context. That's the important missional context so that people can engage with those with needs. So yeah, it gets under your skin. You just can't stop it, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Gar, you have a knack for seeing the resources and the needs and and matching them. It's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, Gar, again, just, just for those listening, you have been such an inspiration. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to overwhelm your email or your text inbox, but I know that there are lots of people listening and part of the Communitas network and even outside the network that um, that may want to get in touch with you because you're you're uh, you're living out, you know, what a lot of us aspire to to do and to be. So and I know that you've you've done some consulting with uh, project leaders or uh, even churches that are seeking to put into play the way that you're living currently. So yeah, I'm always available for, you know, conversations via email or, you know, because I, I really feel that that's one of my roles in the church, Big C, is to assist in teaching the church how to be the church yes. in the local context. And I love doing that kind of work. And um, so a phone call, a Zoom call, you know, a text, you know, Facebook interaction, email. Um, people are welcome to contact me with questions. Um, I have done some workshops and different things that I have connecting to local community type of stuff, volunteer training, um, understanding your community. You know, I've got four or five different workshops that I've done in the past. And so I'm available with that information. And well, Gar, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for being uh, just an incredible inspiration and uh, for the many resources that you provide uh, so many people. I hope that there will be folks that are listening that will take advantage of that. And uh, our organization, Communitas, will continue to as well. So thank you so much. Really appreciate your time uh, here with us today, Gar. And it's it's always good to spend time with you and to be inspired by you. Yeah. And I'll be headed your direction middle of March. So um, it'd be nice just to have coffee if you guys great. were around. Absolutely. Let's, let's make that happen. Okay. Let's make that happen. Well, folks, you've been listening to a Communitas podcast with our guest, Gar Mickelson. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to give us a rating. You can find our podcast on all of the major podcast platforms. And we'll look forward to being with you again next time.